and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, please turn, if you would, into your Bible to Acts chapter 1. We'll be reading from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And please stand if you're able. Father, we stand before you today to acknowledge that this is your word, and we desire to hear your voice in it and through it. Be free, be pleased to free it, our hearts and minds from every distraction that we might in these moments be able to give our full attention to you. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they'd entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Falling headlong, he burst In the middle, and all his boughs gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. You may be seated. It might happen on a cloudless, uh, blue sky autumn day when it's cool but not too cool and the fall colors are present in all their brilliance. 
and you feel the sun warming your face. And in a moment like that, you might feel alive, especially alive. And you might even have a sense of the elusive presence of God. If we stop long enough, if we slow uh, down the pace of life, and we get really quiet, we might recognize that we have a desire to encounter God, that we want to be uh, in His presence, and we want to experience Him, behold His glory, taste His power and grace. And when we do, we feel alive, fully alive. That's what we were made for. That's what you were made for. When the people encountered Jesus in his public ministry, they found themselves in the presence of God, beholding the character, power, uh, compassion, and hearing the very words of God. They were drawn to him. They were captivated uh, by him. They felt most alive with him. And many began to follow him as their leader, their Lord, their master. Jesus' public ministry culminates with his death and resurrection. He came to bear God's wrath for us and to remove the barrier that existed between us and God, our hostility and his righteous wrath directed toward us. It was always God's plan that we could have life through him, new life. God's plan started in Palestine, but it was God's intention that it would go on the road. All of humanity was to know what God had accomplished in Jesus Christ to hear the message of the gospel and to respond. It wasn't, though, that Jesus was going to go on tour, that he's going to start in Boston and work his way down through New York and Philadelphia and on down to Miami. No, Jesus would no longer be present in the way he had been during his earthly life. He would be present in a new way, spiritually, to those who embraced him in faith. In this way, he could be present all over the world and not limited to one place at a time. And so, now he gathers his followers and prepares them for his ascension to heaven. And he will send them the Holy Spirit. But in our text, we're in the in-between time. Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he has not yet sent the Spirit. There's ten days in there, and we're in that in-between uh, time. But Jesus hasn't abandoned his followers. He is ruling and reigning over them. He's actually leading them. Jesus manifests his presence in the story we've just read in the choosing of leaders. And I want to show you this morning why and then how. Jesus told his followers to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And so for 10 days they gather together and they pray. And Luke also tells us at the end of his gospel, they go to the temple to worship. 10 days of prayer and worship. And it was during this time that one of Jesus' closest companions, Peter, says we need to replace Jesus 
excuse me, Judas, who betrayed Jesus and has died. Why? Well, there are two clues in the passage. One is in verse 17 when Peter says, For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Jesus originally chose 12 men to be his apprentices, to learn from him, uh, to carry on uh, the work that he started, to witness to his life, his death, and his resurrection. They were to be those who could testify to his words and his deeds so that every generation would know accurately what Jesus had done. And the number Jesus chose was symbolic. It was very intentional. Twelve. One for each of the twelve tribes of the old Israel. The second clue is mentioned so casually you might miss it. There were 120 people. That's the minimum number of Jews necessary to form a community and to have a leadership council. The new community Jesus is founding is the new Israel, and the 12 apostles are its leadership council. And they would carry the message of the meaning of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Uh, They would lead this movement. And this message can be summarized in three words. Jesus is Lord. Or to say it more informally, but in a way that might actually bring more clearly to us, Jesus is the leader. Now, to be a Christian is to recognize the failure of our own life leadership. And that we're actually prepared uh, to accept his. The message of the gospel is that Jesus is Lord, and that calls for a response of submission, of a willingness to follow him. Jesus is a wise, gentle, strong leader. He's like a shepherd who cares for us, who provides for us, who protects us, and yes, corrects us when we're moving toward harm. The gospel offers more than forgiveness. It offers leadership. But we are naturally driven to be autonomous, independent, self-directed. We want to maintain control in our lives. But this is actually why life is so frustrating and conflicted. Have you come to the place where you see that we're not wise enough to actually manage our own lives? That we make wrong choices and we live with the consequences of some of them for years? that we're powerless against the worst impulses that we have and to overcome uh, the pull of evil in our lives. See, when we choose to put ourselves at the center of our lives, we make a mess of things. Uh, We try to dominate everyone and actually everything uh, around us and to bend them uh, to our will. And they resist this. And as a result, if we're a parent, we're angry. If we're a child, we become defiant. Uh, We are harsh uh, with our brother or sister. Uh, We use our tongues as weapons uh, to wound, uh, to bite, 
uh, to humiliate. Uh, we want people to agree with us. We need them to see that we're right. Does it matter whether it's about how the kitchen is kept or about some spiritual matter or some political matter? And we make people out uh, who disagree with us to be our enemies. We dodge our responsibilities and we try to use people to get what we want. Embracing Jesus means facing this ugly truth. But it also means finding freedom uh, from bondage and new life under the leadership of Lord Jesus. Have you come to the place in your life where you see that, where you recognize that? If so, have you come uh, to Jesus Christ for life and his leadership? Jesus founded a new Israel, a new community of followers. He chose and trained 12 uh, to lead in his absence. But you might say, weren't they discredited? After all, Judas betrayed him uh, and committed suicide. Uh, Peter publicly three times disowned uh, Jesus. The rest abandoned him when he was arrested. They feared for their lives. None of them believed what he said, that he had to die and that he would be raised again uh, from uh, the dead, even though Jesus said it repeatedly to them over months. Really? These are the guys that should lead the new community? Well, the very idea that Jesus acts and speaks and leads through human uh, leaders is a stumbling block for many people. Many people are attracted to Jesus, but they look at the church and its leaders and say, I want nothing to do with that. I suppose we all have had bad experiences with human leaders. We distrust organizations and institutions, and we think about, well, leaders who abuse their authority, We're disillusioned by those who break trust uh, with us. And this story actually addresses those issues. Jesus guides his community of followers in the process of selecting leaders. Jesus is present, guiding. He's directing and leading from heaven. The men Luke names are the 11 that Jesus himself chose. Jesus picked them to be with him, to be immersed in his life, his teaching, and his ministry of caring for others. Jesus gave them leadership instruction. He put them in situations to develop them as leaders. He stretched them, and he expected them uh, to imitate his own style of leadership. Jesus was a servant leader. On one occasion, he put it, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He frequently contrasted his leadership style with that of other leaders who were authoritarian, autocratic, dominating, and self-serving. Leaders who used people to gain power and fame. And Peter's actions are a form of service to uh, Christ's followers. He exercises servant leadership 
Jesus called him to do this. Jesus met with him after he was raised from the dead and confronted him about his denials and then commands him to care for his flock, to shepherd his flock. And that's what Peter is doing uh, here. Peter recognizes the situation. Judas betrayed Jesus. He's dead, and now he needs to be replaced. And Peter cites two passages of Scripture. Peter understood that Jesus was the center of Scripture, that the entire Old Testament spoke of him, that Jesus is the key that unlocks the Bible. The entire Bible, in all its parts, speaks about Jesus. They're not just a few select messianic parts. The whole of the Bible is messianic. And Peter understood this, and as he uh, read the Psalms, he understood that the experience of the psalmist paralleled and resembled those of Jesus, that they prophetically anticipated uh, what Jesus would experience. And so when the psalmist speaks of enemies, they're ultimately to be understood as the enemies of God's greatest leader, Jesus. Psalm 109 is a prayer that a certain enemy may die. Uh, uh, Foes of the psalmist, and uh, that their place might be desolate. That he might be replaced uh, in his position of responsibility by someone else. And here's where Peter's leadership comes into focus. Jesus intended to have 12 witnesses. And taken together these two psalms, when they're understood as being about uh, Jesus, they both anticipate Judas' betrayal and death. The scriptures are the very starting point for the decision-making process that takes uh, place in our story. And the qualifications that are set out by Peter in verses 21 and 22 are of the only people who could serve as uh, Judas's replacement. They need to be eyewitnesses of the key events in Jesus' life and to know his uh, teaching so that they could be sure that it was passed down accurately. And there were only two candidates that could be put forward who met these qualifications. And in a spirit of dependence, in the midst of a week of prayer and worship, they asked for Jesus to lead them. And so, what we find in verses 24 and 25, they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And so the lot fell to Matthias, and this underscores that two equally qualified candidates were present, and that Jesus made his choice. Jesus led in the whole process through Peter. Jesus is the real leader in this community. And from this, uh, there are several things that we can take away that should be present in the life of every uh, church. Peter shows us that the task of human leaders starts with directing people to God's word. They're not to lead in their own wisdom. And leaders in the church are to seek direction from Jesus, seeking in prayer 
to discern uh, His will where the Scriptures are not specific. They are not to rely on their own wisdom, nor to maneuver and manipulate to get their way. Does this mean we should cast lots for leaders? No. This was the Old uh, Testament way to know God's uh, will. Uh, The events in our text take place in this transition time between Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Spirit. Uh, Jesus now directs his church by the Holy Spirit. Casting lots belongs to the Old Testament and not the Spirit-indwelt church. The rest of the New Testament uh, conveys this as we see example after example about how the church finds leaders. In Acts 6, the church discerns who should be uh, deacons. In Acts 13, uh, in the midst of uh, prayer, Barnabas and Saul are set aside for the work of uh, the mission to the Gentiles. Timothy and Titus were told to prayerfully appoint qualified men as elders. The enduring lesson is the need for earnest prayer and careful selection of qualified people to serve as officers. We should never nominate somebody without significant prayer. Too often, churches put into leadership people who are regular in their attendance and agree with the teachings of the church. That's often really pretty much all that people expect. Well, they really want somebody who they deem responsible. But beyond that, often uh, there isn't a great season of uh, prayer. The need for people of integrity and humility is great. Great damage is caused by leaders who are not Christ-like, who lack personal integrity. By that, I mean that there's, the person they are in public is very different than the person they are in private. There's integrity when these two things are basically the same. And one of the marks that should be evident of a person before they're placed in leadership and should continue after they are is a demonstration of their willingness to be held accountable by others. The lack of personal accountability often indicates serious problem in a person's life. This story closes with the words, and so he was added to the 11 apostles. The new community was expected to embrace Matthias just as much as they had embraced Peter and John, to embrace him in his position, in his exercise of authority to direct the church. And Jesus calls us to follow him through his chosen leaders. Now what we don't read is that the rest of the church pushed back. They said, no way, we're not having this person. They didn't complain about this. But we tend to think as, well, as Americans, that we should get to vote on every important decision in the life of a church. This is very American, but it is not how Jesus rules in his church. It's not how Jesus runs his church. Jesus is the king, and the church is his kingdom. The church is governed by a king. It's not a democracy. 
It's a monarchy. And the king appoints leaders. And the church comes to discern who they are. King Jesus leads through his chosen leaders. Now, leaders are accountable to King Jesus as well as to the church. And they will make mistakes. They will need correction. Peter is corrected by Paul, as we saw in our study of Galatians. The twelve were submissive to each other. Peter wasn't dominating them here in the text we just read. He wasn't manipulating uh, them. We see this in Acts 15 as well. The apostles had come over the years as they spent time with Jesus to see that their independent, willful, stubborn, self-directed lives were unsatisfying and had left them in bondage to their selfishness. And the apostles learned submission from following Jesus. They learned to accept correction. He did that quite a bit with them. To be challenged and to repent. It was because they'd become good followers that they were qualified to be leaders. Their submission to Jesus continued as they submitted to his teaching and in their submission to each other. The abuse of powers greatly reduced. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's greatly reduced when there is a plurality of leadership. Now, it takes courage, actually, for the plurality of leadership to work uh, well. And perhaps uh, you've been listening to the podcast about Mars Hill. And it, there was not a plurality of leadership, but in name, not in really in practice uh, there. But it's the plurality of leadership that is why the New Testament speaks of apostles over the church, and, uh, over, over the whole church, and elders in every local church. Leadership throughout the New Testament is plural and not uh, singular. In our church, we take public vows. We make sacred promises to God and to each other that we'll submit to each other. Actually, Liam said he would submit to the leadership this morning. Everyone uh, who's a member in a PCA church makes such a promise. It's a lot easier to say those words and actually much harder to live them. The real test of these vows is to submit to leaders. We are commanded to submit to our leaders and obey them in the New Testament. If you need a couple of verses, Hebrews 13, 17, and 1 Peter 5, 1 to 7. The real test of these vows only comes when you disagree with a decision. When you agree with a decision, what you're simply doing, you're not practicing submission. You're just in the company of people who think like you. That's not submission. It's only tested in the moment that a decision's made that you don't agree with. And no place is this principle of submission more important than among the officers, the leaders of the church, as they make decisions. When they discuss options together, they each and every one should share candidly 
their point of view, their understanding of what Scripture has to say about this issue, the implications of Scripture, what they see as wise to do in a circumstance. But when the decision is reached, even if they didn't agree with the decision, they need to own it. They must never show anyone else that they would have preferred a different choice. Pastors are not over the elders. They're simply one among the many. Their special training, their uh, years in the study, their being tasked to uh, preach God's word does not make them better, wiser, or always right. In fact, they're probably exposed to a much greater temptation to pride than the other elders are. There's something about standing before people and declaring God's will to the best of your understanding that can lead you to think that actually you're right about everything, that you're better, you're better informed about what the Bible teaches than everyone else, and to think that, well, you're not capable of making uh, a mistake. As you uh, come to the place next year to look for a pastor, you want to be sure that there's someone who has demonstrated, not just in the past, but currently can demonstrate that uh, they are able uh, to submit and to follow. It's only people like that that are really qualified to be pastor leaders and to live out the model that Jesus has given for all leaders. Decision-making, wherever it's taking place in the life of a church, should be, but often is not, in the, in the context of prayer. Much of the time when leaders meet, they should be in prayer. They should be asking the Lord Jesus for direction. They should be willing to wait on the Lord, as we see the church in Acts 13 do. The more significant the decision, the more that should be the case. But in our day and time, expedience often uh, rules the day. And when that happens, decisions are hurried. And when a lack of unity exists among uh, the uh, officers, there are often very, very poor decisions are made. Often decisions are rushed when there really are not that many emergency decisions that need to be made. Decisions that are made hurriedly, prayerlessly, as if Jesus wasn't our leader, as if we didn't need to actually spend time with the leader. For this model of leadership of submission uh, in the church, by human leaders, it requires uh, trust. It requires trust of the congregation, and it requires trust on the parts of the leaders. It requires a willingness to trust that God is at work, that Jesus is leading, that he can and will lead, even through mistakes. There is no group of human leaders who lead for more than a short period of time without making mistakes. All human leaders fail. 
None of them are infallible. None of them are above uh, uh, being challenged and even rebuked and held accountable. Not even the apostles and no leader today stands with the level of authority that they did. Our distrust of leaders and lack of submission to them is not simply a rejection of men, of particular people. It is a rejection of Jesus' reign. This is one of the primary reasons that we need to join a church and become a member of it. You can't meaningfully obey Hebrews 13.7 with John MacArthur or some pastor, leader, or speaker who lives a thousand miles from here or a hundred miles from here or even 30 miles from here. If you're unwilling to demonstrate in the concrete way that you're in submission to other leaders by joining a local church, you need to understand you are resisting Jesus. If you can't submit to the church where you're worshiping, then go find a church whose leaders you respect and can submit to. You are in great spiritual danger if you're not in submission to other leaders. This is what Peter's warning about. He says that the devil is like a roaring lion looking to consume someone. That you think you don't need such leaders is a sign that you've already been deceived by him. And you are in a place of great spiritual danger. It's not about what you feel. It's about what God himself says. Jesus lived a life of total submission to God his Father. Every aspect of his life was lived in obedience to him. It was in submission to the plan of God the Father that God the Son was humiliated. He was born of a woman as a child born under the law, born in poverty, in obscurity. Imagine that, the king, born in poverty, in obscurity. In submission to the Father, he allowed himself to be mistreated. He suffered. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was stripped naked. He was shamed in every way the Romans could imagine. And he was crucified as a common criminal. He was humiliated by being placed in a grave. But God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's follow our Lord. Let's live a life of glad submission, trusting that God's at work in those that we submit to trusting that he himself will deal with those who are, well, leaders who are out of line. It's not that we must be silent in the midst of poor leadership. Our voices aren't lost. Submission doesn't mean silence. But it does mean we're looking to God in trust. Let's pray.
Father, may you be pleased to grant that uh, we who naturally are stubborn and resistant to your leadership and rule in our lives be given the grace to walk in humility with you in the pattern of the life of the Lord Jesus and to live in submission to others, no matter what place you've placed us uh, in your church. Give us the grace to be both good leaders and good uh, followers. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.